Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John O'Leary is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. I am John O'Leary, and I am so thrilled you're here joining me in this Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast, I have amazing guests share their life story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, ultimately, their life. Yes, you can hear profound and unforgettable inspiring stories, but way more importantly, you will take away real ideas to apply in your own life. My friends, my goal is to have guests on this show that will inspire you to choose to wake up from accidental living so that you can do, be, achieve, and impact more through your life, or perhaps more simply said, so that you can live inspired. It delights me beyond words today to interview someone who has taught me more about resilience, about faith, about courage about redemption, about family, about love, and about life than anyone else, yes, anyone else in the entire world. Today, my friends, it is a great pleasure to have on our show someone with my very same last name, my mom, Susan O'Leary. It was my mom and dad's book, Overwhelming Odds, that moved me to own, to embrace, to celebrate my own story, and then share it as an inspirational speaker, then as an author, now through this podcast. I can't wait to share with you the woman who has been a beacon of light and love in my life. This woman who has taught me how to live well and live even better when going through difficult times. She taught me the importance of family, the beauty of faith, and her book, Overwhelming Odds, literally woke me up from accidental living so that I could begin truly, truly living inspired. On the show, she'll even honor us by reading an excerpt from her book. My friends, it is my greatest honor to introduce you to my mother, my friend, my role model, my hero, Susan O'Leary. Today, she'll show each one of us a beautiful example of how to live inspired. Susan, Mom, welcome to our show. John, I am most flattered and humbled with your introduction. I am thrilled beyond words to be here, sweetie. Well, it's it's sincere. And uh, Mom, not only are you a phenomenal mom, but I think you are uh, an outstanding leader and lady that we can all learn a lot about. So I wanted to begin the story on where you are today. Tell me about your family today. Do you have any kids, any grandbabies? Are you married? Oh, that was such, what a great lead up to what what I love to talk about. I've been married to uh, your sweet dad, Denny, for 48 years. We have six children, five of whom are married. We just had our 18th, as you well know, grandchild two days ago, little Charlotte. And um, we just are overwhelmed with uh, gratitude enjoy with these babies yeah it's, uh, it's, the family was busy and big when we had six now with six plus spouses plus 18 babies uh we're filling the house there's no doubt about that mom but the story doesn't really begin today i think it begins years ago so i'd, I'd like you to walk us all the way back to when you were little where'd you grow up 
I grew up in Pasadena Hills in Normandy, which is North St. Louis, and attended St. Anne's grade school. And uh, the people that have gone to St. Anne's grade school always have, there's a mantra with it, and I think it is, where the real people come from. (laughs) That's the way I like to look at uh, my home base. So it was a wonderful, wonderful time, and... um, Lived there all my life till I was married. The house that you grew up in is the same house that I would remember from fried chicken dinners as a little boy. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Your grandma and grandpa lived there until you were probably, um, I guess, about seven or eight and then um, moved out. But that's that's exactly where those fried chicken dinners were on Sunday nights. 404. You you. uh as a freshman in high school, I believe, met a boy that was going to impact you for the remainder of your life. There's no doubt about that. How did you meet Denny O'Leary? I was, as we used to say, I don't know what they say now, fixed up with Denny uh, my sophomore year in high school. And we went to uh, St. Lucia High's Coronation Dance and... As they say, the rest is history. Your dad loves to say to our oldest granddaughter, you're 14 years old now. You've got the rest of the year to meet your husband (laughs) because I was 14 when I met him. I'm not sure that's always how it works out. I'm thrilled in this case it did. What was it about dad that attracted you to him then and and, uh, I'm sure still does? I just, John, fell in love with the guy and from the very beginning, he was just a very special, special person. He had, um, um, oh, a trustworthiness, and he just had a wonderful, dry humor. Yes. So uh, those are, I remember our first date, and he convinced me, we were in his father's big Lincoln, that when the temperature reached a certain- Is this safe for the radio, Mom? This is absolutely okay. safe for all ears out there. Uh, he convinced me that when- the temperature got to a certain point. That little vent window opened automatically and then would shut when it, it got to the right temperature. And, of course, he was controlling everything yes. from the driver's side. So, But I believed it. I, I believed everything he, he said. What, what When was it that you knew he was the one? Do you know, John, I don't know. I imagine it would have been um, really a couple years after we were dating. And and we dated pretty steadily after there were other dates mixed in there for both of us. But um, I would say when I was, you know, maybe 17 years old, I felt this is the guy. Mm. I just love him. In the uh, 48 years or so of marriage, plus the six or seven years of dating, there have been many, many, many ups, good times, and also a, a fair share of some challenging times. We'll talk about both in the next uh as we move through our time together. But as you look back at more than 50 years with one guy, what is it about your relationship or choices that you've made that have allowed you guys to stay together? Do you know, uh, I think we, first of all, compliment each other. I like to really get things out in the open and make it very clear of my position. Whereas your father um, would be the kind that might retreat to a room and pick up a book or take a nap. And I think with that mix, we complimented one another. But I think the heart of it probably through the love is that really we have shared the knowledge and love of the Lord, which has truly kept us rooted 
uh, through all the the difficult times and been the heart of all our celebrations. Mm-hmm. That's that's where um, the loyalty comes right. from. Right. Well, it's awesome and uh, great examples as kids to see that in your mom and dad. Let's talk about some dates that are significant. Uh, the marriage, of course, birth dates, of course. Uh, January 17th, as I prepared for this, is a, an, a date and an anniversary that uh, is certainly significant in my life. I know it was in yours as well. T- tell me about how you remember that morning, Mom. January 17th, 1987. Uh, it was a date uh, of, shall I say, tribulation and horror for years, and then it has now... Um, resulted in, honestly, a day of celebration for us. But that was the day, as you well know, John, that um, that you went out into the garage with that lit piece of paper, picked up the can of gasoline because you'd seen kids do it and wanted to try it out yourself and see what would happen when the two met. And, of course, before the um, gasoline even came out of the can, the fumes ignited and causing a tremendous explosion and just spewing flaming gasoline mm-hmm. all over you and throwing you into the garage door with no one there at home but two sisters who were upstairs getting out of bed and a 17-year-old brother that was down the basement sleeping. Tell me, Mom, where, where were you when it happened and how did you hear about it? Your sister Katie was an, an aspiring singer I don't know if she was trying to reach Barbara Streisand's level, but she was aiming very close. And we had Katie in singing lessons Mm -hmm. for a while. I took her and I took your baby sister, Laura, who was 18 months old, with me to take Katie to her singing lesson. And I dropped her off and about a block and a half away was a bookstore where I took the baby in and just looking through cards and books, and within 10 minutes after I dropped her off, Katie was back there in the bookstore, and I could see in her face something terrible was wrong. Mm -hmm. And she announced to me that uh, there'd been a fire, and um, John was hurt in the fire. Um, All I imagined at that time was, ironically, that you might have burned your hands a little bit. I remember thinking that because fire was just simply not a tangible uh, problem to put into my world at that time. I I wasn't familiar with anyone that had been burned. Right. I didn't understand. Right. Well, you were about to understand. You eventually make the trip away from that store with your babies in, in tow to the emergency room, Mom, and—, and uh Walk me forward from that point. You walk down toward room six where the, your little boy is being kept. And you have six kids, but I think we can say in, in all candor, your favorite child is now laying there in this hospital bed. Oh, beyond favorite. has That's always right. Has always Self-declared been. favorite. I know mom and dad have six favorites, which is always reassuring to know. But you walk into this room. There I am. I'm nine years old. I'm scared. What, what do you see? What, what do you feel? Well, John, before I walked into the room, your father met me at the hospital and said, Susan, they don't think John is going to make it. They were words that I remember as if it were yesterday. They were crushing. I felt like 
I didn't know if I could take another breath or even stand there anymore. And then after hearing those words, we were both led back to where you were, John, in a um, a room off the emergency area. Mm-hmm. And at that time, when I went in to see you, it wasn't as dramatic as I felt it would be. Uh, your hair was singed, your eyelashes and eyebrows were singed off. Um, but your, I expected if you had really lost your skin to be looking right. into something very different, and it was very white. I can remember that, John, and and seeing you there with that sheet, you know, over you. We had a conversation. Uh, I asked you if I was going to die. And in asking the question, Mom, I was assuming, as any proper nine-year-old would, that you were going to offer me reassurance in response, that you were going to provide hope. And the thought I had, I thought, was uh, the reply might sound something like, baby, what are you talking about? You're not going to die? We're going to get you out of here today. We'll swing you through steak and shake all the way home. Everything's going to be fine. That's what I was looking for. But do you remember how you how you responded to my question? Do I remember <clears throat> vividly? And it took me years to realize that it was certainly not my words, but the words of the Spirit that led me to say to you, John, do you want to die? I still I can't believe I would have said that because it isn't the natural right. thing a mother would have said to her little boy at that time. And when you said no, I remember saying to you, John, then you're going to have to run and fight as hard as you ever did, as fast as you've ever run on that soccer field, and you'll have to take the hand of Jesus. He'll be with you every step of the way, and Daddy and I will be with you too. And yes. as I remember it well, and uh, it's vivid. I, I, I After that, though, my memories get a little bit more foggy, and I'm sure yours become a little bit more vivid to an extent. You get raced out of there, the doctors, the nurses, the technicians come in, they do their work on me. It's hours later when you get reintroduced to your little boy that you had a pretty candid, beautiful conversation with. He's looking good when you last saw him. What's it like when you see me later on in the afternoon? We walked in and were theoretically prepared by uh, Dr. Vajan for the site we would have. But nothing can prepare you for seeing your little guy swollen probably two and a half times his normal size, totally wrapped in white bandages, head to toe with only your nose showing and your lips, which were very burned at the time. And you had a uh, trach, I believe, at that time. And you were not able to, I think you were unconscious and not able to certainly talk due to the trach, and it was it was so stunning and alarming that I think it was hard to even react to the side of this um, when we first came in, just mm-hmm. totally, totally unprepared for what we would be seeing there. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's something you were able to become, unfortunately, very familiar with over the next five months in the hospital. Was there a time that seemed more difficult than the others. I realize none of this is easy, none of it was fun, but was there a day or an experience or just a moment when you were at at your wit's end? 
I remember walking in one morning and seeing the infectious control doctor. I wish I could remember his name. Do you remember it? No. Anyway, he was a wonderful person, and he was standing outside your room. And, of course, the burn units are, at that time, were totally closed off. They were Mm -hmm. small units, and they had sliding glass doors to protect the patient, basically, from any germ, uh, any infection that could come in, just airborne, because with open skin, um, anything is um, a death sentence Mm -hmm. to you. So... He was looking in the room, and I said, Doctor, is there a problem? And he said, well, John's blood cell, white blood cell count is extremely low. And I said, is, that, is it serious? Is it a problem? And he said, it's a concern. Well, hearing that expressed that way and knowing he wouldn't have said it in the situation you were already in, mm-hmm. um, I, I reacted. I won't go into how... I physically reacted at, at, uh, Look, I got to a those black words. Eye. Um, <laughs> uh, well, we'll I'll talk about it <laughs> personally uh, after the interview. But uh, I guess John, that stands out. There's so many. Mm-hmm. There's so many times we were not told. Um, for you went in January 17th and came out May 25th. I think it was mid-April before we were told by the doctors that you were probably going to survive this right. terrible accident. So we we faced daily being told right. that you were not going to make it. Frequently, Mom, I'm asked by individuals who are trying to support family members or friends or colleagues in neighborhoods uh, that they have a friend with cancer or someone going through a tough time. What can they do for that person? And, uh, and here you went through that for months and you've been through it times subsequently. What were a couple things that people did for you that really did buoy and lift up your spirits? Do you know, John, I think the the greatest thing I learned from this tragedy is that you never hesitate to respond to anybody else's need. You never think, I don't know them that well. There will be family there. It just happened. This is too busy. There has never been a time when your dad or I have responded to anything that any friend of ours, acquaintance, was going through that the person was not grateful. And I know personally when people would come to just talk to us and they would say, all we're doing is praying for Mm. John. And I go, that is everything that's everything under the sun um you just don't hesitate to go to a hospital to visit someone to go into a wake to go to someone's home mm-hmm. um it just is something that is embraced by that person i would say that's probably uh the greatest thing and of course all the millions of things people did for us and right. starting uh blood uh donors and um, bringing music to the area we stayed in for three weeks and bringing food and taking care of our smaller children and needs of our older children. Um, Whatever you need in life, people that are in that situation certainly need and more. Almost a a decade later, after graduating from the hospital, I was able to be in high school. And one of my teachers was a gentleman named Brother Don Lee. And Don Lee had taught 
almost a decade earlier, my brother Jim, who was the guy who saved my life the day I was burned. I understand, Mom, that not only did he teach Jim and teach me, but he also uh, gave you some encouragement. You know, Don Lee was such a dear friend then, and I have to say this. I have a cousin named Mary Lee, and she would often be with us where Brother Don Lee would be, and I would so often introduce them as (laughs) Don Lee and Mary Lee. And (laughs) so many people were confused by it. And, you know, it struck me finally, oh, that is odd. I, I better explain this. I remember emphatically Don Lee being there one night. Dad had gone home to be with the other children, and uh, he said to me, "Susan, they can't turn the um, they can't turn this oxygen up any more than it is." So I went in to be with you. You couldn't talk, and you were just laying there in this dark room, and it was maybe midnight. And I thought, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I know Denny's gone. How am I going to get through this next five minutes? And I was fighting tears and kissed you goodnight and walked out of your room and through the burn unit, opened the door, which automatically opened, of course. And there was Don Lee standing there. And it, it was just such a testament to the fact that I think when people are attuned to the Lord and his will for them in life, um, they're never disappointed. And Don was one of those people, and he was there for me certainly when I needed him that night. Mm-hmm. He was just he was just a great guy. He would borrow the Jesuit car right. to drive over, and if he couldn't come— he would call me and apologize. Someone else had the car for the day or the evening, and right. he couldn't get over. You know, I think frequently we don't make the visit because we don't have donuts to bring or coffee to share or money to give. And that story that I've heard many times from you and Dad sharing it, it, it just reminds me it's not about the donuts, the coffee, or the money. It's about being present with someone else. And Don Lee and so many others from your examples are great proof of that. Uh, anything strike you as being funny back then? You know, these are dark <laughs> days. Your kids dying. Your other kids are at home in a burnt-out shell of a house. I mean, it's a messy time, and yet uh, we Irish somehow lean into humor greatly during times of strife. With if you're Irish, means constantly because we're always struggling with something. So, mom, was there any time back then that you just found surprisingly funny for some reason? John, this is material for my second book. Yeah, now, I, I don't want to divulge everything, but your father from the beginning, I think maybe the third the third day, leaned over as we were sleeping in the waiting room, and he said, I think I figured out how they work their cleaning process here at, at the hospital. They try to keep it as quiet and comfortable for the visitors during the day. And then they start in with the polishing machines and the floor cleaners at about one in the morning. So the only people disturbed are the patients. And of course, our little patient uh, was facing uh, the end of everything. So despite that, your father came up with that. We also, um, when Gino Cavallini would come to visit you. Uh, The first time he came, I was totally unfamiliar with hockey and with him. And I happened to have about four 
friend sitting at a table with me in the waiting room, and the nurse asked if I wanted to come back, if we would allow Gino in. And I said, well, of course. And I'd get up, and I'd go back to them, and I'd say, what's his last name again? And they would go, Cavallini. And I would leave for a while. I'd take a few steps and go back, what, what's his name? Gino? What is it? It's Gino Cavallini. So things like that were humors. One night, we were walking the hall waiting to hear if you could have surgery the next morning because we knew surgery meant life. Mm-hmm. You were Any surgery was a grafting, and that was how we were going to get you back home was to get your body covered with skin. And we had to make sure you didn't have pneumonia. So Dad and I were walking. It was about 2.30 in the morning, and a, an intern, someone came up to us, whomever he was, with a white coat on, and he had an X-ray. And I went, oh. Good. And he went, here, here we go. Now, let me put that over here. Come here and let me show you. And he put it up on the wall. And I can remember looking at it. And I said, doctor, you know, I don't have any medical training. <laughs> but I I really feel strongly that those are not a pair of lungs. And it was, oh, you're not Mrs. Jones's family with her broken hip? And he had told us how well everything was going, and we told him we were not, yes. but we couldn't have been happier for yes. Mrs. Jones. Good for the Joneses. So we were thrilled for them. Um, there were um, countless, countless things with um, our wonderful Dr. Avajan. Uh, tell, tell, so I knew Dr. Avajan as his patient. You knew him as the healthcare provider and eventually as a dear friend. What's his personality like, Mom? He, Dr. Avajan, is a very quiet, humble man until he is explaining your surgery. And he had a doctor with him who was just a a wonderful doctor, burn specialist, Tom Vitale. And Tom would start to explain, and Dr. Avajan would just slowly, very inconspicuously put his hand up to stop. Dr. Vitale's words, and then he would go through and tell precisely what he and Tom had done in the surgery to say they did the work of four men and um, um, should be just overly, overly, probably compensated and complimented complimented for their their successes with that. Uh, He he was burned, as you know, John, as a as a little boy himself. And in those days, to ease the pain, they would give the patient ether. And evidently, ether also, one of the side effects is stunning your growth. Mm. So Dr. Vajan was a very short man in stature, but that was his only shortness. He was... <laughs> He was tall on character and uh, courage and straightforwardness and love and compassion and his ability to perform the many things he did for you and all the patients. He sure did and uh, was part of a miracle. And we go home, Mom. We have a party. We celebrate. Life moves on. Little Johnny goes back to school with his five siblings. Uh, and then years later, another storm blows your way. Parkinson's diagnosis for your husband, Denny, my dad. Yeah, it was about six years, I think, John, after uh, your accident. And so t- what, um, Tell me what Parkinson's disease means for the patient. And then more personally, what has it meant for you and dad? Well, you know, when we first were looking at a diagnosis, uh, people were saying, you know, of all the dot things they're checking for, you really want to hope and pray it's Parkinson's. And 
Truthfully, I think that's um, a very legitimate thing to say. And Parkinson's has a different effect on everyone. And some people are struck um, younger than others. Your dad was very young. He was 48 when he was uh, diagnosed with it. Others are older, and it might develop more quickly. Um, Basically, what happens with Parkinson's, and we've been facing it now for 24 years, is that you start gradually losing your ability to function with the basic uh, um, qualities Mm -hmm. that you have in life, your your, um, ability to um, balance, your ability to walk, your ability to hold something without shaking, possibly, um, a little bit of your um, ability to, um, I guess, mentally function, reasoning mm-hmm. certain things. It's a gradual process. It can affect, it's affected your dad's sense of smell. He has no sense of smell. Um, Clearly. Um <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Moving on, Mom. <laughs> Even though I still keep spraying Shalimar, it, right. he has he hasn't picked it up yet. Balance, um, the ability to walk, drive, earn, work, speak, everything, John. It's right. everything. And um, I have a number of friends who've been diagnosed uh, with Parkinson's, but there is really, I will have to say, it, it can't just be Parkinson's people. I guess after your situation. I have become so much more aware of people that face true difficulty and true um, concern and and just their ability to face each day is a problem, and yet they do it with graciousness and with dignity and um, I think with the strength and honestly with a sense of humor. Uh, I find that with so many of the people that I know that face whatever it is. So mm-hmm. hopefully that's the way dad and I have faced it. Your dad has been an incredible, incredible individual no doubt. Um, in facing this with no complaints, no why me, mm-hmm. um, and no, um, you know, um, continual comments on the pain. Right. And everything that he has to, he has given well, up. I think part of that, and you described it without even probably meaning to mom in the in your beginning of the description around Parkinson's, as you said, we have been diagnosed with Parkinson's for 24 years. And mm. I do think doing anything all by yourself is extraordinarily difficult. Even celebrating a birthday is hard when it's by yourself. But to take on a burden when you have a partner to carry half uh, makes it not only endurable, but sometimes even joyful. One of the, One of the gifts, I think, that grew out of Parkinson's disease was eventually, believe it or not, dad loses his job. He gets bored and he starts writing a book with his partner, my guest, Susan O'Leary. You wrote a book called Overwhelming Odds. What's the subject of the book? John, that's a suspenseful question. (laughs) Um, As people might surmise, the subject is you. The subject is your situation, how it affected us, our family, the community, the community at large beyond the little area and the parish we lived in, extending um, throughout the country and even in places uh, 
around the world, it was incredible, the effect of prayer mm-hmm. and people's response to the needs of a little boy struggling for life. And I really think that's what what um, we attempted to achieve with this book. And it was it was your dad's right. it was your dad's uh, a glory child. He he really dug into this because he felt that he was given the time to do it. Mm-hmm. And had he been working uh, in his job as an attorney, he might never find the time to really get down to writing out his thoughts and memories. You wrote. All. Collectively, Mom, an amazing, amazing book that has changed many lives, mine included. It's why I speak. It's why I wrote my book. It's why you and I are even on the show right now. You printed 200 copies originally, and at last count, you are now over 70,000. Oh, I, wow. So it's, it's Thank an, you. You're welcome. It's been an amazing change agent for good. What, what has surprised you most as you hear people's response to your book? I think, John, exactly what you said. People that will share with me how they were talking to someone whose brother was in jail for seven months. And what he did was read a book someone gave him that changed his attitude and allowed him to continue in this confinement and to really change his heart at Mm -hmm. that time. And it was our book, Overwhelming Odds, Uh, to find out from uh, a dear friend's daughter that her neighbor across the street who was just diagnosed with breast cancer, as this little, as my friend's daughter was coming across with our book for this little girl to read, the other little girl made the comment that she was going to be fine. Everything was going to work out. She had read a book the night before. She just stayed up and couldn't stop. And it was about a little boy that was burned. And she knows if he could get through what he did, right. she knew she could get through it. Those things just uh, flabbergasted me when I heard them. They, they truly did. Yes. Well, it is an amazing story. It's what allowed me to finally embrace mine and the scars that came with it, but also the blessings within it. It's why I wrote a book called On Fire. You wrote your book in three months. I wrote mine over three years. So I'm, I'm a slower writer, apparently, than you and dad. But recently I was able to record it on an audio version. And uh, there are only two parts of the book. I recorded it over three days that literally brought me to tears. Uh, one part I won't go into right now. The second part, though, was in uh, the final chapter. I get a phone call early in the morning. You're on the other line, and you say, John, come home. And what you're calling me home toward is your house burning for the second Mm -hmm. time. I think anybody can have bad luck fire once. But to have a second fire with a guy with Parkinson's, with a family that has been beat up many more times than than have been declared publicly— how do you how do you make sense out of the challenges that have blown your way in life? Two fires, challenges with kids, health issues, financial woes, all the stuff, Mom, that seems to come your way. Well, John, I don't know if I've ever shared with you that I've had a few personal conversations with God. <laughs> Usually they're in my car, and um, I get a, a little loud-pitched at times, and um, they might sound, sound a little accusatory. Um, however, what it comes down to is honestly, I think 
bad things happen, unpleasant things happen in life. And, you know, um, I, I was not Pollyanna through this second fire. It, it just took uh, the heart and soul out of both your dad and me. And I couldn't believe something like this was happening again, even though no one was hurt, which was, of course, uh, so much consolation with the second fire. But I will have to say the good people that came our way, including um, the gentleman sitting next to me looking into my eyes right now, had his whole construction crew. You were Mm -hmm. doing homes then, John, around the city, and you took charge of our home, and you had some great guys. You had Harold working with you. Yes. And uh, Harold was uh, always uh, there for a comment or two. Um, well, for me, it was a joy to 25 years earlier burn the darn thing down, 25 years later return like Caesar and uh, be able to spend six months bringing this thing back to life because it was a total loss. Oh, yeah, it was. You know, we lost things that I had already realized in life were things but when that you do lose them, it just tugs at your heart. I mean, I'm talking about um, dress, my wedding dress, right. um, baby dresses, little little boys, Eton suits that your children could have been wearing, John. Unfortunately, all these they years. were burnt. I, I think um, all this type of thing that, um, not to mention furniture that you know you thought, oh, I love that chair, I love that couch, but. You come to realize once again, they are things. And I look at our life now. I look at the job you did on the home. And I, I guess all I can say what I realize through it all is that life continues to unfold. The blessings are still there. And the blessings certainly outweigh the difficulties mm. in our life. Well, and Mom, I think in great part, because you choose to focus on it. So I'm, I'm going to shift gears now from the story to a, a little segment we call here on John O'Leary and Live Inspired, the Live Inspired 7. So seven questions, quick fire. You're not prepared for these, so uh, don't let them Oh, is this your... like a game show? This is a where game I show, I won't Mom. get to the second if I don't do the first. That, but... You need to answer each one to get to the second. There's a prize at the very end. So here we go. Question number one, what's the best book you ever read? Ooh, the best book. You know what a reader I am, John. Um, I finished one when I was with a couple girlfriends in Florida a couple months ago, and it was called What She Knew. Don't ask me the author's name. I And that was great. That kept me in suspense. That was wonderful. Um, I can't give you one. You know that. I also um, I loved um, a book that I gave to your to your Beth, uh, left, um, left neglect, left neglect, <clears throat> and it was a fascinating book. That mm-hmm. was fascinating, and I also loved the help. Mm. So, um, if you're looking for profound uh, <laughs> philosophers, no Nietzsche are... <laughs> quoted here. We're, we're going to move on, Mom, before oh, they turn like, us off immediately. I do like Henry Nouwen, of course, too. All right, all right. So tomorrow, tomorrow, you discover that your wealthy uncle, apparently my wealthy. Great uncle has shockingly died at the age of 103, leaving you with millions. Mm. What would you do? Oh gosh, I would. Uh, oh, I'd have a 
ball. I would have a ball with that. Um, I would uh, give amounts to each of my kids, large amounts. Um, I would give uh, a certain amount to family that I felt really could use that mm-hmm. help. Um, I, of course, would tuck a little bit in the bank for your father and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to send some to Father Bob, dear, a friend of ours. I would love to uh, um, oh, probably get something really going with um, Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. You know, try to really make a, a cutting edge through you know, whatever they're, right. they're, wherever they are now in the, the fight against that. Um, I don't know how many millions I have, John, um, but... You're, you're almost through. I am think I, you, am yes. I almost through? Okay. I don't know if I got a trip in for myself or not. <laughs> right. I I probably would have to throw in a river trip um, in Europe, um, a riverboat. Um, but honestly, and, and again, I am not Miss Goody Two-Shoes, my joy would be enable enabling me no to doubt. give it away. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mom. Uh, this question is a stretch for many people to imagine. For you, it's a reality. So here we go. If your house caught fire, Mom, and all the living things and all the living people were out, and you had an opportunity to run in and grab one item, just one, what would you grab? John. Um, thinking that I would be going off and since you won't allow me to take the six um, oil paintings of my children, I would have to say my Bible. Being a Bible teacher, a Bible study teacher for the last, like, 18 years, um, that is where uh, our true stories and right. are the great stories lie and our truth and our foundation. So, so the Bible makes it out. I would, say, I would say the Bible would make it out. Okay, so that is now in your hands, and as you sit on a bench, you're overlooking a gorgeous beach. It's a beautiful day, and you have an opportunity to have a long conversation with anyone, anyone, living or dead. Who would it be? Hmm. Oh, John, I'm so glad that with our relationship, (laughs) you prepared me so much for this, with a living conversation with someone. Um. I would say, I, oh, I could pick a million people. Um, I would say someone like, um, honestly, Martin Luther King. I think I would really enjoy talking to him and finding out if, you know, my first question would be, did you ever regret telling people when you were had been attacked and had been um, put down so much in life to face life? Nonviolently, mm-hmm. how 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 really how did that play out for you, Martin? Did that? Uh, I think he would be one that I would would Just probably really enjoy uh, talking with. What's the best advice, Mom, that you've ever received? Um, this this sounds real shallow, but my mother would always say to me, "Put on your lipstick." And your earrings, and you can go anywhere. <laughs> uh, I know that's what you had hoped uh, I wouldn't say, or you hadn't even hoped. You've probably never, uh, you've heard it, but we're hoping I wouldn't say that. Um, 
but uh, you know, I'll be a little lighthearted with there that. You go. That's what Grandma told me, and and it's helped me through life. So that's what Grandma told you. What would you then tell your twenty-year-old self? My twenty-year-old self. So looking back. I, just a couple decades now, what would you tell yourself at age 20? As you're about to embark on marriage and you have no idea what else is to come, what would you say? I would say probably with relationships, work at letting any hurt feelings or harsh words go. Mm. Put them behind you and just keep on going. Mm. Write that one down, my friends. That's, a, that's one I think we would all benefit from heeding. And my final question to you. It's been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Mom, how do you want your one sentence to read? Uh, She came through blessing to know the Lord and love him. And she passed. She tried her best to pass that love on to her family and friends. Uh, Success. So uh, thank you for sharing that, Mom. And you wrote a book that I loved. It certainly moved me to not only tears but also to action. It's called Overwhelming Odds. And I would love for you to read maybe one of my favorite passages from the entire book. It's about halfway through, and it's when you're finally realizing that this little boy is charred and in some ways physically disfigured, and it's never going to return to who he was before physically. And you've got to reconcile who he was with who he is and with who you were with now who you are. So re- read with me uh, the final couple passages. From if, that. if I may just say this and share from our lunch today that I had, uh, you had told me uh, to bring the book and that was it. And I thought, I'm just going to mark two passages. And this was, as you know, one of the two mm-hmm. passages. So passage. that's, um, I think, interesting. Yes. That's, that's a sign. It was somewhere during these debridement, grafting, and release surgeries, somewhere between sitting at John's bedside, walking the halls at night, praying and begging God for a second chance at life, that I came to redefine in my heart the beautiful, normal, and desirable. I came to realize that the world would not see John as fitting these categories as before, and I could not share in the world's biased judgment of my little boy. That realization years ago not only freed me immensely from inner struggles, but also has opened my heart profoundly to the inner beauty of others. Woo. Mom, you, uh, you raised us beautifully. We appreciate your faith, your love, your parenting, your courage, and your uh, guidance of Dad as he continues on his journey. Thank you for being our guest today on Live Inspired with John O'Leary, and thank you for being my mom. Thank you for your kind words, sweetie. I loved it. My friends, for this time and until next time, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed sharing it with you. This is Live Inspired with John O'Leary, and this is your day, Live Inspired. Well, thanks for joining me today on the Live Inspired podcast. It was such a gift to share my mom with you. And I hope that you enjoyed the conversation. In the show notes, we have links to her book, Overwhelming Odds. My friends, if you've never checked out Overwhelming Odds, do yourself a favor. Check it out today. Order this baby. Read this baby. Be moved profoundly by this book. It's awesome. Now, if you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you, please do take a few moments to rate the show and review the podcast. 
This is a quick way that helps get the word out. Although the show is still just launching and it's already climbing the charts and it's already touching lives, you can help inspire and impact even more lives. So rate this show, leave your comments, tell your friends, and let's create a movement of individuals living inspired. You can do it now on the podcast app on your iPhone. Simply click on the review tabs. If you haven't yet subscribed, hit the subscribe button while you're at it so that you never miss a guest, a conversation, or insights on living a more inspired life. If you are on other platforms or maybe other devices, any other love that you can offer in sharing this message, my message, I certainly would appreciate it. You can learn more about the Live Inspired movement at www.johnolearyinspires.com. One more time, my friends, that's www.johnolearyinspires.com. Each week, you can listen in as I interview extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. I'm honored you tuned in this week and can't wait to be with you next week. So for this time and until next time, this is John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live Inspired.